Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Oh my gosh, it's 8 a.m. on Monday and I'm so tired. I went to bed at a halfway decent hour for me. It was after midnight, but that's early for me. And then I got one of those robocalls at 7 a.m. and that woke me up and I was like, are you kidding me right now? And I couldn't go back to sleep, which is for the best. I've got like a super, super busy day today, which is like every day. It's never ending right now. After I record this podcast, I've got to go to the warehouse to receive the shipment for the next batch of Don't Waste Your Pretty merchandise, which is going on sale this week. People have been emailing me about it. Like, when's the next drop? When's the next drop? When's the next drop? It's coming. It's coming. Figuring things out on the fly with 50 million other things to do. But I told you last week, I've been working like nonstop with writing assignments and emails flying and scheduling. There's so much going on, which I'm very, very thankful for because there could be nothing going on. So good problems to have, just not enough sleep in the meantime. But I took a personal day last week just to clean my house and get some of my basic affairs in order. And I did it again this weekend. I, um, I was just burnt out and I was like, nothing productive is being done right now. I need a day to refresh. I was thinking about how on a recent episode, I was talking about, you know, taking this personal day and getting my stuff in order. And on that list of things that I hadn't done in so long, I couldn't remember the last time I worked out. And I got on the scale and was like, oh my God, like I was offended by the number. I'd lost a bunch of weight when I got braces just because it's difficult to eat. And some of the things that I really enjoy, like guac and chips, just can't happen. I mean, it did happen, and I broke off a bracket and part of my wire, so that was a one and done. So I have an appointment on Thursday to get my brackets and wire fixed. I can't believe I did that shit. Because I've been working so much, I'd be damned if I have, like, downtime and I spend it at the stove. So I've been grubhubbing my life away. I ordered a pizza one day <laughs> and Thai food the next. So I don't know why I was so surprised when I got on the scale and was like, ooh. I actually worked out for the first time yesterday in probably two weeks. Felt like I was going to die. But I did it. And laid down on the mat afterwards in my own pool of sweat and fell asleep. It was only like a 10-minute nap. But still... I was like, this is my life. This is what it's come to. So I wish I could take today off, but that's not going to happen. We're a week out from the premiere of Don't Waste Your Pretty on TV One this Sunday, 8, 7 Central. We have a screener before the film. If you'd like to get an early viewing of Don't Waste Your Pretty, you can post a picture of yourself when you feel you are the prettiest, and you can use the hashtag Don't Waste Your Pretty and the hashtag sweepstakes and tag TV1. I know it's three steps, but it's three easy steps. But at random, 50 people who post their picture and use the hashtags and also tag TV1 will be selected to participate in the screening. And there's also a talk back afterward with me and one of my favorite humans and frequent guest of the show, John Murray. He needs no introduction on here. But he and I will be talking about the film afterward. So if you'd like to see Don't Waste Your Pretty before the rest of the world, again, that's post your favorite picture where you feel pretty, hashtag Don't Waste Your Pretty, hashtag sweepstakes, and then tag at TV1 on your Instagram. But on my day off, as I was saying, I got a chance to watch Bigger on BET+. 
for some reason, I wanted to watch the new edition film. And so I downloaded BET Plus, which conveniently is free for seven days. Thank you, BET Gods. So, but I watched the new edition film, which was so, so, so good. And then I ended up watching the Bobby Brown film, which I was like, I don't know why it's better to me two years later than when it initially came out. I was cackling through that whole film. Woody is such an amazing actor and he plays Bobby Brown so, so, so well. Like, every time I see him, I think about Bobby Brown. Like, he just bodied that role. But that movie is full of unintentional humor that I missed the first time I watched it. But I went on this complete BET binge. So the New Edition film, and then the Bobby Brown film, and then Bigger. It was only available on BET Plus until recently. I think it just started airing on the network. But I'd heard really great things about it. Another one of those shows that people have been raving about, and I had no idea how good it was, or else I would have watched it sooner. It's so good. I think I watched clips from the episode once and I had it on my list of things to watch. I'm pretty sure, actually, that when I do those lists of like, what's Demi watching? I put it on there and I intended to watch it and just never did. It's one of the best shows on television. I don't know how I missed it. And it's about 35 year olds, which I love because I feel like so much of TV caters to people in their 20s and early 30s. And I'm like, people still live after like 32. There are so many stories to be told and not told often enough. But it's a group of friends, five of them who are all friends from college. They live in Atlanta. They've got interesting careers. I think all but one of them is an entrepreneur. Three women, two guys, and the main character is, I swear she's based on me. She was so relatable to me. She's got a long-term boyfriend who proposes, and she's not sure if he is the right person for her. The story starts there and just goes on this wild ride, but like, I love these characters. I would watch them do almost anything. Another one of the characters, she works in real estate. She's kind of like the Samantha Jones of the show, but with a black girl edge. And then the other woman is a former reality TV star. And she's trying to like figure out her life post reality TV. It's really, really good. One of the guys is a DJ. My best friend is a DJ. It was very, very relatable to me. So I really, really loved that show. It's so good. And I read that it got picked up for a season two. And I also heard that it's currently in post-production. So I hope that that means it's coming to screens soon. When I find more downtime, which won't be anytime soon, I want to watch Married at First Sight. It's my mother's favorite show. She has all these predictions early on about which couples are going to work and which ones won't. But one couple who should not work, they still together some way, somehow. I don't know how the plug hasn't been pulled. But I keep reading about this one couple, Chris and Paige. Their situation is so bad that it made page six. And one of the experts from the show broke protocol and spoke out about it in a since-deleted social media post. I don't even know where to begin with this story. So Kristen Page are black. And we talked about this before. I did know that Chris, newly married Chris, his ex-fiance is pregnant. And I was like, wait, what? Like, why they got this man on the show when he got a pregnant ex-fiance? Apparently he didn't know until after filming began. Okay. But when I was probing about it online... I was like, I'm sorry, I've watched this clip and I believe that you're telling me that this man is married to another woman on this show and he has he has a he has another woman pregnant. They were like, girl, that's the tip of the iceberg. And I was like, there's more. There's more. So um, 
Chris is 27. Paige is 25. Which, you know, people in their 20s do dumb shit. But I was like, this is excessive. So page six has a summary. Let's read what page six has to say. They describe Chris as a quote unquote controversial cast member. He's been such since the season premiere. He stated that he wants a submissive wife. And he also mentioned he had been engaged to another woman only three months before taking part in the show. The couple were matched by relationship experts after they met the first time at their wedding. And shortly after that, they flew to Las Vegas with four other Atlanta-based couples from the show. They went to Vegas for a honeymoon. The couple had sex twice on their wedding night, though Chris later told Paige he wasn't attracted to her. Chris also told Paige, his wife of three days, I found out some information this morning. I won't say it's devastating, but it's something that I have to deal with. He told her this over breakfast and then refused to tell her what the issue was. Apparently, there was a very dramatic scene where Chris and Paige separated. She tried to get the producers to tell her what was going on, and they would not. Over dinner, Chris told Paige that the former fiancé is six weeks along, and she didn't know that Chris got married. Paige said, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do at this point. Sis! Sis! Sis, you on a reality show where you got married for TV. You want to divorce him. What are you saying? But Paige and Chris are very um, proud Christians. And Paige says that she trusts that God wouldn't throw something at her that she can't handle. And she's decided to stay with Chris through this time. According to, but according to this Page Six article, and it's from February 10th. I think that's notable. That's two weeks ago, so a lot can happen in two weeks or two episodes. They said in a promo for an upcoming episode, Chris told Paige, his legal wife, that he's thinking about getting back together with his ex because, quote, he still loves her. Ma'am, if you don't pack up your kitty and go, talk about wasting pretty, ma'am. That's a lot on one person's plate. The man told you he's not attracted to you and he got somebody else pregnant and he's still in love with her? Ma'am, go. Pack up your kitty and your pretty and go. What are you doing, my love? I understand she didn't know what she was getting into, but now that you know what you're into, you need to choose another option for your own good sake. There was another breakdown on my social media page, and that's what made me want to speak about this again this morning. Okay, here we go. This is from Fernando M. McMullen Jr. I like to quote my sources. Fernando wrote, Paige, God send me a sign if this relationship is not your will for my life. Chris, signs one through seven. I went to get breakfast three hours ago but didn't bring you anything back. I had a panic attack because I think you're ugly. I'm having a baby with my ex-fiance. I unblocked my blocked ex-fiance. I'm thinking about moving in with my ex-fiance. Moving in? I'm still in love with my ex-fiance. I'm only attracted to your prayer life. Also, Paige. God won't put on us more than we can bear. Um, sometimes things we think God put in our life, that's the devil that put that shit there. Everything bad that happens in your life is not God. Now, God is always in control. Amen. But some of the shit that happens in your life, God allowed the devil to put it there. You got to use some discernment. I know they do. Marriage can be a beautiful thing. This shit ain't beautiful. Somebody tell this lovely black woman this is not God's plan for her life. There's a different plan. It involves a man who's not in love with his ex-fiance. I promise you. I promise you. 
What else is going on in the world? Andre Leon Talley is back in the news. This is also from page six. They be on it. He's fighting an eviction from a mansion that he says that he owns. The New York Post reports that Vogue legend Andre Leon Talley is being dragged out of his $1 million New York home by the former CEO of Manolo Blahnik USA, who alleges the former editor is $500,000 behind in rent. Now, the two of them were very good friends at one point. At some point, he had some financial issues, and Blahnik and his husband purchased the house for Tally with the promise that he would pay them back for the cost of the house, and then they would change the title from their name to his name. And in court documents, Tally says that he provided 120000 as a down payment, and he paid back over a million dollars as of January 2020. He also says that he personally invested more than $200,000 into the home for improvements over time. Unfortunately, there is no legal record of whatever arrangement that they had. Tally says that it was a gentleman's agreement with George Malcolmus. I've been referring to him as Blonick. He's the ex-CEO of Manolo Blonick, but George Malcolmus is the owner's name along with his husband, Anthony Yergatis. I think that's how you pronounce it. This is messy. And sad. Andre Leon Talley is 72 years old. I'm reading from the Daily Mail now. Talley claims he was renting a property in 2004 but needed to move promptly after encountering a mold issue. He says he couldn't obtain traditional financing at the time because of his demanding work schedule. He says Malcolmus and Yurgartis were longtime trusted friends and agreed to help him buy the home. This is really sad. Um, hold on. Did we get. Oh, sorry, got distracted. I just got a response from one of my favorite actors. I asked him last night if he could come on the podcast and talk to us about his new show. And he's available today because the show drops on Wednesday. So it's Amin Joseph from Snowfall. I'll tell you later in the podcast exactly what happened. But he just said yes. So that is a very good thing. Look, this day is getting better and better for everyone except Andre Leon Talley. I need Andre Leon Talley to be okay. The last couple years have been a little messy for him. He had that falling out with Anna Wintour, and then he wrote a whole book about it. But it's about his life and fashion. But Anna Wintour factored heavily into that. But they had a falling out, so he's persona non grata at Vogue now. I don't know what he's doing professionally. Hopefully he got like a good advance on that book deal. But he's 72 years old. He was one of the highest-ranking black men in fashion. And it's just so sad to see his... I don't want to say demise because life ain't over. Even at 72, there's still much more to do. Ask Cicely Tyson. But he should be comfortable and well-situated at this point in his life, not fighting about where to live. Your shelter is important. It's a basic need. And having a sense of home, that being in jeopardy is just so jarring. Ask me. I know. I feel really bad for him. I hope this can be settled in his favor. Because he's lived in that house for, what, 30-some-odd years? Nobody wants to move at 72, against their will, no less. It's one thing when you decide to downsize and go into a condo, but when you ain't trying to move and are forced to move, that's a problem. 
I feel so bad for him. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. What else is going on? Oh, so I'm not a big tennis fan, but I did see that Serena Williams, she lost to Naomi Osaka at the Australian Open Serena was pretty devastated about it. This is the second time she's lost to Osaka. It's led people to ask, not just does Serena Williams still have it, but if she's really one of the greatest athletes of all time, if not the greatest, which I think is a stupid question. There's a story on thestar.com and the headline is, Serena Williams is running out of shots at the Grand Slam record, leaving the GOAT debate slightly open. Is it? The piece argues that Serena Williams can certainly lay claim to being the best female tennis player of all time. However, she is running out of runway to have the stats to prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. Huh? Serena, who is 39 years old, hasn't surpassed Margaret Court's career total of 24 grand slams, the last of which came at the U.S. Open in 1973. The writer says that tennis was a far different game then. Racket technology has changed everything. And in the women's game, it has introduced power at a level many wouldn't have imagined even a quarter century ago. Apparently, Serena Williams has only won 23 Grand Slams, the last of which was the 2017 Australian Open when she was pregnant at 35 with her first and only child. This writer concludes that while Williams most certainly wants to eclipse Court's record, that wanting it won't be enough. Williams should have three more chances this year, but the field isn't getting weaker and she's not getting better. I thought there was a much better take on on Serena's most recent loss on Deadspin. And their headline was, Naomi Osaka isn't Serena Williams' rival. She is her legacy. Deadspin points out that Naomi Osaka learned from the best. It is always difficult to see a great player, if not the greatest ever, lose a few miles off her fastball. But Williams can look across the net to Osaka and see a victor that is part of her own impressive legacy. And not many truly great athletes can say that. 
I like that much better. I thought there was also a really good take. Son of Baldwin posted this, and it was written by Timothy DeWitt. And I'm going to read most of it because it's kind of brilliant. He says, I've had quite enough of you niggas and how you've been treating Serena Williams. Here's my issue. Serena doesn't need to pick up another racket in her life to solidify herself as the greatest of all time. Even this quote and unquote record she is chasing is bullshit. And mostly everyone knows it because the white woman who holds it in no way, shape or form played the same elite level of competition Serena has conquered throughout her career. She also did not accomplish any of the other triumphant feats Serena has managed throughout her career either. The only reason this quote-unquote record has become such a make-it-or-break-it for Serena is because of the blatant racism Serena has been forced to face her entire career. Serena has elevated the sport of tennis unimaginably, yet, because she is a black woman, they place another flimsy, nonsensical bar above her head for her to reach as well. And instead of refusing this clear attempt to undermine her greatness and place even more unnecessary burden on her body and mind, so many have continued to tune in and speculate if at the age she is now, whether or not she still got it, which is just outrageous. On top of that, we are forced to be torn between rooting for another amazingly gifted up-and-coming young black woman because in order for us to prove Serena's greatness, we need her to lose. All of the true fans of Serena and of black women in general, let's start pushing out the message that Serena is enough and has done more than enough. Because putting her body, mind, and spirit on the line with hopes of beating these 22-year-olds so she can prove something to herself and to all of you who supposedly love her simply ain't it, chief. Stop asking black women to be bionic in order to be noted. That's probably my favorite take. I never really got into tennis. That's like my dad's thing. I used to go to the tennis court with him when I was a kid. He would play with his friends, and there was a playground right next to the court. So I remember like being on the playground and watching my dad play tennis, but I just never got into it. Hmm. But I'm into Serena and black women in general. So whatever is best for the Serena, I want for the Serena. Your boy Ted Cruz, this mofo. I really, like, despise this man at this point. We talked last week about how Texas, who was really in some bullshit. I saw this video online. It was a compilation of the water issues that Texans were having in their homes. So they're not used to this level of cold, and their homes are not built for it. So it gets down to 14 degrees in some places. Their pipes freeze, and then they burst. And all this water comes pouring into people's houses. Like, I was looking at what looked like a foot of water inside some of these people's houses. It was crazy. One video I saw was a pipe burst and this water was flooding down a stairwell. This shit looked like the Titanic. It didn't help that whoever posted the video put the Titanic music to the video. And I was like, y'all wrong for this. I saw another video. And mind you, these Texans got some big ass houses. I've been living in L.A. and New York too long. Like, my understanding of scope is just off. And even though, like, my parents' house in Maryland, like, it's a big-ass house. It doesn't have those super high ceilings. But those folks in Texas got big-ass houses and big-ass high ceilings. And they were falling apart like they were Barbie doll houses. Look, my Mattel townhouse might have been sturdier. Like, this one woman was recording. It looked like it was raining in their kitchen, which was bad enough. And there was buckets all over the floor. And the husband was doing the best he could to contain the mess. And as the woman was filming, the whole kitchen ceiling just caved in. And there was shit everywhere. 
I, I just gasped because I could not imagine that being my house. I was like, oh my God, these poor people. And this is the situation that Ted Cruz was like, fuck it, I'm out. The senator of Texas abandoned his people in the middle of a crisis, literally a state of emergency. He went to Mexico with his family to go stay at the Ritz-Carlton. Now, the Ritz-Carlton was only 305 a night, which I was like, oh, that's a good deal for the Ritz. And one of my very good friends who travels more than me, she was like, that's actually a crappy Ritz-Carlton. It's not the deal you think it is. <laughs> you know what? When the pandemic is over, I want this life where I can be like, mm, it's not the best Ritz. I've seen better. <laughs> but Ted Cruz rolled his ass out, got caught rolling out. We talked about this last week and blamed it on his kids. He said he was escorting his daughters who wanted to go on vacation with friends and school was closed and he took them overnight. And I was like, sir, your wife was with you at the airport. Two kids, 10 and 12, don't need two parents to escort them to another country in the middle of a state of emergency, especially not by their father, who was an elected leader of the state. Ted Cruz said he was going down for a day. He was coming back the next day. And that story didn't really fly. So then when he got back, he had a new story. He was like, oh, no, we did go down and plan to stay through the weekend. He was like, but I felt so bad. Even when I got on the plane, he was like, I felt like this isn't right. I should really be with Texans. Then why don't you get your ass off the plane and keep it 100, sir? The only reason you're copying to that shit now, two reasons. The media found out that you bought a ticket for the following day home. That got leaked. And then because your friends don't like you any more than half of America does, your friends leaked your wife's text messages from her planning the trip. It's so cold. The house is freezing. We can't stay here. We're going to Mexico. We found this great rate at the Ritz. We're going to stay through the weekend. You left your people, sir. And then you lied about it. And worse than that, because it actually gets worse than that. You know, this motherfucker left his dog. He left his dog in that freezing ass house. It's too cold for humans. They got a little poodle named Snowflake. I didn't believe it when I saw it, but it was in New York Magazine, which is a reputable publication. New York Magazine had a writer for the publication go by Ted Cruz's house. And the writer went by and saw the dog in the doorway and took a picture. Ted Cruz and his family are warm in Mexico and they left their small poodle, Snowflake, behind. Who does that? Who does that? I've never even owned a dog. I don't have firsthand experience raising a dog, caring for a dog, and thinking of a dog as a member of my family. But even I know you don't leave a dog in a freezing fucking house. You go on vacation for four days. You take your dog to the sitter. You leave your dog with a friend who will care for your dog. Because the dog is like a member of the family. If nothing else, it's a small animal that needs to be cared for. You can't just leave it unless you're Ted Cruz, in which you can. And he did. That whole family is trash. I'm going to say that even about the 10 and 12-year-olds. Jack Pearson? <laughs> you had to know I was going to say that. Jack Pearson on This Is Us? That whole damn house was on fire. Kate was like 10, 12, 13, and she was like, no, daddy, no, you got to get the dog. You can't leave the dog. Jack Pearson went in the house to save that dog. He wasn't going to let the dog burn up because that's a member of his family. He got his children out. He got his wife out. He got his dog out, and he saved the family photo albums. That's a man right there. Ted Cruz, that ain't no man. His wife, I mean, she's deplorable too because she left the dog. But I was like, ooh, y'all trifling. 
I think Ted Cruz could have got away with going to Mexico because Republicans just seem to forgive anything. Inside a riot at the Capitol, police officers are beaten and killed. Other people are killed. And eh, fuck it. Let's just move on. So Ted Cruz running off into Mexico, leaving his people in a crisis. I really think folks would have got past that. The dog, though? White people don't play about dogs. White people do not play about dogs. I think this might be his downfall. I hope it is. Ain't nothing else seemed to work. Leaving your dog is just some deplorable shit. One last thing I want to talk about. It's been a light news week. I'm sorry we don't have more depth this week. And that, like, I got a lot going on. Let's just also keep that 100. I know when I'm not at my best. I wanted to mention Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey is a financial guru. One that I follow. One that I think gives good advice. I like Dave Ramsey. I like Suze Orman. I like Tiffany Aliche, the budgetista. She's got a book coming out in March, which I can't wait to read. I have her scheduled to come on the show and talk to us about getting our finances in order. Even if they are in order, you can always do better. But Dave Ramsey, respected financial guru, his friend, Rush Limbaugh, passed away. Limbaugh was a radio host who was very popular and very wealthy. He was also a bigot and a homophobe and a racist. He was a horrible fucking person who used his platform to spread hate for like a good, what, 30 some odd years? When he died, rest and piss started trending on Twitter, just to give you an example of how evil he was. Dave Ramsey took it upon himself to write this loving tribute to Rush Limbaugh on social media after Limbaugh's death. I don't assume, and maybe I should, that evangelical Christian is synonymous with racist apologist, which is all the same thing. And maybe I just didn't pay enough attention to Dave Ramsey because when I started looking up stuff, I was like, oh, I I didn't realize how deeply embedded he was with Trump and the like. He's actually praised Rush Limbaugh and cited him as a friend many times before. When Rush Limbaugh announced that he had cancer back in February 2020, you know, he said our prayers this morning for my friend Rush Limbaugh, the Elvis of talk radio, an iconic career. You got this, sir. Beat cancer. I just wasn't paying attention. That's my bad. I don't know if he got in the hot water for that one. But this time around, after Limbaugh died, he said America and radio lost a great man and a good friend today. Rush's humor, intellect, and passion catapulted him to become an American icon. You had to love him or hate him. He didn't give you a choice. I loved him. I don't understand why so many people like to jump in boiling hot water. Not just kind of steamy water. I'm like, do you want to burn up? Like I said, I didn't know that much about Dave Ramsey's personal life, his personal affiliations, his political affiliations. But now that you're mourning the death of a racist and publicly telling nearly a million followers on Twitter how much you loved him, now I'm like, yeah, I'm good. We're down to Suze Orman and Tiffany Aliche. I prefer supporting women anyway. But I was like, I've seen so many people do that. Just like you jump in these situations when no one was thinking about you. You just hop up and want to say some crazy shit like little boozy. Nobody was thinking about you. And you want to jump up and be like, Michael B. Jordan is a simp. And now the whole internet is roasting you. Dave Ramsey want to hop up here. I love Rush Limbaugh. Dude, I know you rich. You don't need the money. But as someone who like, you know, clearly likes money, I feel like it's one of those things that you can really never have enough of. But you just hopped out here with this shit and like now half the people that thought you were dope think you're like another antichrist. Why? Oh, well. There are other places for me to get my advice. 
from folks who ain't racist and support black women for sure. Dave also has protege, a black guy, Anthony O'Neill. I wanted him to come on the show at one point. He initiated this viral conversation. He was dating a woman and she asked him to take her to a specific restaurant and he told her that he wanted to see her again. He'd be happy to take her out, but he didn't have that restaurant in his budget for the month. And if things continued to go well with them, and he'd be happy to take her to that place the following month. And he asked if that was acceptable. I can't remember what happened with that story. If the woman bailed on him or he was just telling people what happened and asking like, what would they do? I actually wasn't mad at him for that. I mean, it's certainly not the most romantic thing that you want to hear. But as someone who really pays attention to their finances, like I do have a budget, some of the things I budget for are kind of outrageous, but they are line items in the budget. I do have a set amount that I allow myself to spend every month and everything else I invest. I live way below my means. I'm trying to make up for some quote and unquote lost time when I wasn't being particularly productive. And as someone who like thinks about their finances and to be quite honest, wouldn't blow my own bag for some dude I just met. Like we've been in it for a minute and you're invested in me and I'm invested in you. Then, okay, maybe I can step outside the budget, but I just met you. I'm just getting to know you. Am I going to derail my financial goals for you? I don't know you like that, man. So I got where he was coming from, but I did want him to come on the show and talk about it. And this is my bad. As the host, I should have followed up on that, but he was on vacation at the time. And he didn't have the greatest reception wherever he was. So we decided not to do the interview. And my bad, I didn't follow up on that. It's not too late. I wonder if he'll still talk to me after I just, you know, dragged his mentor. But the whole point in bringing him up was to say that, like, that's a really insensitive thing to be praising a racist when one of your well-known mentees is a black guy. That doesn't put him in a good position. Because now you got people looking at him like, why are you still fucking with Dave Ramsey after he said that? And I'm sure dude is just like, yo, I'm just trying to like, you know, like, yo, I'm just trying to like build my career. I ain't know it was like that. I feel bad for him. Sometimes white folks just put black people in the most ridiculous crosshairs, I guess, where it's like, I was just trying to mind my business and build my brand and make my money and and budget accordingly and date, apparently. And then you jump out here with this wild shit. Now I got to be accountable. People asking me, about some ish you said. I didn't say it. Now I got to address it or sit here mad ignoring it until the story goes away. That sucks. He seems like a nice guy. I hope everything works out for him because he didn't say that dumb shit. His mentor did. Yeah. So we do have a treat. An interview has been confirmed. Amin Joseph, he is one of the stars of Snowfall, which debuts for the fourth season on FX this, this Wednesday. Snowfall is one of my favorite shows on television. It draws comparisons to The Wire, but I think it's an entirely different show. If you are not a fan, which how could you not be? This is John Singleton's magnum opus. Dare I say it's better than Boys in the Hood, which is one of my favorite films of all time. But it follows a similar theme. It's loosely based on the story of Freeway Rick who Rick Ross stole his name. Freeway Rick, when he got out of jail, sued Rick Ross for using his name and then lost the case. And I think he had to pay all of Ross's legal bills. There's a whole documentary about this. It's on Netflix, Hulu, one of those. But Freeway Rick was a drug dealer in LA in the early 1980s. And 
as terrible as this accomplishment is, it's introducing, it's introducing crack to L.A. and being one of the biggest drug dealers in the country. So on the show, Amin Joseph plays the uncle to the character that is based on Freeway Rick. His name is Franklin Saint. Amin Joseph plays Uncle Jerome. I'm sure he has a last name. No one ever calls him anything but Unc or Jammin' Jerome. So I started watching Snowfall late. I think I started watching right after season three ended. Everyone was talking about the final episode. And I was like, oh, I remember this vaguely. I went to ABFF one year and they did a screening for Snowfall and it was really good. And I was like, oh, this is something I should watch. And then I just got distracted with other things and never sat down to watch it. But I met Amin and some of the other stars for the show. HBO had a really sexy party in Miami Beach and me and John, because me and John Murray be everywhere together. But John and I were both at that party and we were being mixy and had like a great time. But I met Amin there and it was just like a high buy in passing. I was like, you look much better without the jury curl wig that you wear on the show, which is the truth. It's the truth. And he does. He's gorgeous. Which leads me to my next story. After I moved to L.A., there was an Oscar party for Macro and it was a mob scene trying to get in. It's like the who's who of everybody attends this party. Literally, half the room is on TV. So I'm standing in line trying to get in. Eventually, I had to call the DJ to get me in. I went to college with DJ MOS and we've been friends forever. Like he's DJed like almost every major milestone I've had in my career. He and his wife DJed the reception at my wedding. Anyway, I'm standing at the door trying to get in, not having much luck. And I'm looking around to like, see who do I know who can pull me into this party? And I turn around and Amin Joseph is standing behind me. Like I literally gasped and I'm so sorry. I can't pronounce that word right. It's my braces. Certain words are still tricky for me. He's like a living God. Like he's gorgeous. That happens. I get into the party. I have a great time. And the next morning I write about this party because LA parties are just different. Like they serve you plates of food, not past hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> and everyone there is just normal. It's not a flex because like you're on TV. I'm on TV. You're in films. I'm in films. I can't flex on you because we all doing the same shit. So I write about seeing Amin Joseph and also Damson Idris. And I said of Amin Joseph something like, it's like he's so beautiful. You can't look directly at him. It's like looking at the sun. You've got to look and look away, look and look away. I write stuff sometimes and say stuff on the podcast and totally forget. I have like a built-in audience of like, I don't know, 400,000 people. It's probably 300,000 at the time. But like, I totally wasn't thinking ever that he would see it because I was just being silly on the internet. But Damson Idris tweeted me, that morning, we didn't even make it till noon. He was like, good morning. <laughs> and he sent a nice message. And then, I mean, Joseph came into the comments and he was like, yo, as a black man, it really makes me feel good to see black women, you know, celebrating us in this way. Like, thank you, sis. I really, really appreciate it, which I really appreciate it. So it was like a really good feel good moment. And then maybe like a week or so later, there's a knock at my door and chocolates and wine arrive. Good chocolates, good wine. And the, and the note is signed, thank you, from the gents of Snowfall. So it's even more of a feel-good moment. So I was like, if I didn't love Snowfall before, because I was watching season four no matter what, but I was like, now it's appointment TV. After the chocolates and the wine came, half my timeline who hadn't seen the show was like, who are these men? And then they started watching the show and was like, oh shit. So like, I've got my whole timeline watching that show. And then today... 
have a mean Joseph on Ratchet and Respectable. And I would also just like to point out the macro party was almost a year ago today. It was February 24th of 2020. It was one of the last big events that I went to before the world shut down from COVID. Really, really excited to have Amin Joseph on the show to talk about the next season of Snowfall because the commercials look crazy. I can't wait to watch this season and I also can't wait to talk to Amin Joseph. So no more me. Let's get him on the phone and see what we can find out about this upcoming season. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I realized I hit you. I DM'd you last night and it was a totally casual request. Like I know you. And I was like, you know what? I don't know this man. (laughs) I feel feel like we know each other. That's all good. I do. I do. I shared a little bit with my readers about our, I think it's a funny origin story. Like a year ago this time, we were both at the macro party and I saw you and I saw Damson Idris and I saw um, Michael B. Jordan and some other people. And I wrote about it the next day and it got back to you, which I never, ever expected. I probably wouldn't have written it if I thought you would have seen it. <laughs> That's funny. No, I saw it. Uh, Jansen saw it as well. And, and uh, we thought it was cute. And we just, you know, we just love to have, uh, we, we just, this is our culture, you know what I mean? And I think our culture is one that we call it how we see it and, and I thought it was I thought it was a cute write up, and um, that's why we you know we wanted to send a token of appreciation over to you for you know keep it tongue in cheek and and, um, and the love you know the love is real. It is. It ain't is. Like, ain't nothing like when 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 a sister when a black sister shows appreciation for a black man and, and vice versa when a black man is able to show real appreciation for black women. I think we always need to exalt that. Thank you. It was much appreciated. Like you sent it over and I shared the whole thing with my readers and everyone was like, who, what, what happened? Snowfall. We got to all watch Snowfall. So like my whole readership is like, oh, our boys are coming back. Our, our boys are coming back on Snowfall. Are you going to recap it? Are you going to talk about it? Like everyone's super excited. So congratulations on season four. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I can't wait for our audience to see it, and for those for the audience that hasn't, you know, had a chance to check out Snowfall. Now it's up on on Hulu. You know what I mean? So at least now we're able to really uh, for people to be able to binge it. So this year, our all of our episodes will be on Hulu the next day after it airs on FX. So if if, if it airs on Wednesday, basically Thursday, you can see it on Hulu, along with all the other episodes from the previous season. Well, I'll tell you this. I went back over this weekend and I watched season three over all over again. Not that I haven't seen it like six or seven times, but just so I'm all caught up on exactly what happens. And I downloaded FX just for y'all. That's what I'm talking about. Look, I, we got to commit. Thank you. Yo, you're Thank welcome. You. I was like, I can't wait till Thursday. I don't want spoilers. That needs to get back to FX. That needs to get back to FX. I'm going to make sure I relay that. Please do. Thank you. That people people are actually downloading the FX app, not just Hulu, but the FX app to uh, to stream during this time. But um, yeah, I'm a, we're we're ecstatic about this new season. We, we feel like our audience, our built-in audience, is loyal and they know what there is to expect. But we also feel like there's a new uh, fan base that we're looking to you know to capture um, that may be you know still dealing with some of the pandemic stuff and you know still kind of 
sitting around being able to binge things and be able to really digest a series like ours because it's not something that, to me, that you just sit down and, you know, that you can just watch as if it's reality television. There's story plot lines and a lot of implications and you got to kind of be a, um, an intentful reader. I mean, uh, viewer. viewer. Yeah, I feel like in some ways, and this isn't new to you because I'm sure you get these comparisons, it's Wire-esque in that way where you're building several stories at once and you've got it like every, there's no throwaway lines, there's no throwaway scenes, everything counts towards the story. Yeah, I definitely feel that we're, we're, we're modeled in a Wire, um, you know, kind of feel and, and just the grit of the, of, the, uh, of the show. I mean, you know, the Wire... Of course, it's classic television, but um, to be mentioned in that same, you know, in that same type of category, of, you know, that this show reminds, I think that's kind of spot on. Yeah. I would also say that, like, much like The Wire, I feel like The Wire really took off its season three. Like, it was good for one, it was good for two, and then everyone started watching season three and season four. Um, do you feel the energy shift in the attention that the show is getting now? Yeah, I mean, I've been talking to some of the other casts, and I do feel like there is just a, you know, that perhaps we're at our own tipping point, that, you know, that there is an energy electricity around this particular season. I thought season three was starting to feel like that. Um, But, yeah, I think season four, like I said, because of the access to streaming, the way that audiences, you know, digest, their content is just different these days. And I think the added streaming bonus, you know, it just feels like this is bigger. Um, I also feel like the story is a slower, this is a slower, this is a slow bake. You know what I mean? This is a story that you're watching the matriculation. You're watching, you know, it's, it's almost like a coming of age story at the same time with the geopolitical, um, you know, things going on with the, with, the, uh, the geopolitics going on, you know, with the government, um, the CIA, there's also this young man that, that, that has this very real life coming of age. And I think that's a slow cook, you know. Uh, so we are more, we more of a pot roast than, than usually the, the quick, easy oven bake stuff, you know, the microwavable stuff. So uh, for the people that sit with us and, and are able to really, like you said, comb through all of the storylines and look for that specificity, I think those people get a big payoff, you know. What can you tell us about the new season? Because the trailers look crazy. Oh, and that's what I was also mentioning. Like, it's bigger because of that. Because everything has been cooked for so long and it's, it, and it's savory, I feel like at this point, the storylines are, are bigger. They're, 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 you know, they're just huge. It feels epic. And I feel like that's what we'll see this year. I mean, um, this year is going to tear at your heartstrings. It's going to literally, we're going to literally be taking hearts out of of the chest. It's crazy, some of the uh, stuff that we've done this year as far as the storylines. And I think the um, that Snowfall always has a circle of truth around it, that it's not just, you know, a a blatant glorification of, of drug selling. Um, but you, the impact of the, to the community, the impact geopolitically with um, wars being fought um, to our south, the gun running, the, 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 the drug being exchanged for 
for favors and, and, and you know, it, you just see that in a way that I, I think only a documentary would, would match. So, and the fight, also the fight, the, 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 uh, the black power fight, the fight for our communities, to watch our communities become decimated with this drug. Um, that's what you're going to see this year. It's, it's eye-opening, and like I said, it, sometimes it's, it's breathtaking for it to be, you know, fiction and for us to be suspending our disbelief to watch entertainment. What was your approach in taking the role of Uncle Jerome? There's been a lot of characters on television and films who are drug dealers. And if it's done well, it's not just a stereotype. You get to the heart of who the person is and why they make the choices that they do. So what has been your approach to making sure that you never fall into a stereotype and that you always find this character's humanity? First of all, I'm not afraid of the stereotype. Um, usually a stereotype is that because someone has mimicked, mimicked something that was real at one point that had a lot of uh, authenticity and then it's been easily copied. So to me, it's about getting to the source of what really makes those stereotypes. You know, to say that somebody has a, that a drug dealer has a beeper and he has a, you know, a cool little foreign uh, a car and that he, he wears these type of threads, he has this type of hairstyle, talk this type of way, though, that's a lot of specificity there. And when you get those things right and you've seen it done, Perhaps we say that it's, you know, that it's stereotypical, but I, what, I, what I tried to do is I tried to go and research the times. Um, I tried to research for a character like, you know, Jerome, Unc, Jamie Jerome, whatever you go call him. Um, you know, he would have been inspired by the, the music, the times of the 60s coming into the 70s. So it's not so much 60s as him being a young man and seeing perhaps the late uh, 60s, you know? Still got the pajamas with the foot in them in the 70s. And, and he, you know, so by the time it's in the 80s where he's a man, you know, he's not this coming of age the same as the lead uh, Franklin Saint. He's a man that's already been influenced by by things. And, and I think going back and, and for me, just being infected with the music, the culture, there's a pride there. Um, that's the man that, Jerome Saint is. He's a throwback, a true throwback to when people saw themselves, when men saw themselves a certain way. There's a brand of, of, of masculinity. There's a brand of, of, of speaking truth to power. There's a, there's a brand of, of, of fear to, the, to his surroundings and, what, and, and the way that white society has treated people like him in the past that he just comes with a, a wealth of knowledge. And it's okay that he may have not gone to the, the, the greatest of, of schools, that he didn't get, you know, a Western education in that sense. But the common sense that comes with surviving and seeing your people being, you know, migrating from the South to the, um, to the West. And, and, you know, that great migration that so many of our people have made um, from, from the South to the West and to the East Coast, and that he's a part of that. And um, there's so much legacy, there's so much history, and all that stuff just starts bringing out behavior. And that's kind of the character study that you do. That's the fun part of creating these type of characters that, does, that don't seem one-noted, you know, that seem, at the end of the day, seem 
multi-dimensional, three-dimensional people, character, you know? Yeah, because I watched the show over and over, and um, even though we're talking about people who are involved in, you know, this drug lifestyle and and things that may be unrelatable, I like the characters. Like, I like his relationship with Aunt Louie. I like his responsibility to his family and who, to his nephew. I just like the people. That's why I keep watching it. I know what's going to happen. Yeah, I feel like this. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, everybody realizes that a show like this, it kills me when people are like, no spoilers and stuff. Like, yo, it's going to end up bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, that's this. This is a tragedy, you know? Yeah. Um, and we're lucky enough to, to, to be able to, to highlight... Um, God bless the late John Singleton um, and Dave Andron that were able that's able to bring a, a, a poignant piece like this to to FX, you know, to to a cable network, so that we can see these things, so that hopefully we don't repeat this type of history. But yeah, this is a tragedy, and but going on the ride, the ride should the, the ride should feel like a thrill, and the ride should also be a cautionary tale. Because if you really see what these what these people are going to, do the means really justify the ends, you know? Yeah. The ends justify the ends. Is Jerome going to make it through season four? Is who? Is Jerome, is your character going to make it through season four? No, I, I'm already dead, actually. What? Yeah. <laughs> I'm already dead. I, I died in season three. You didn't see it? I love how you're not answering the question. I love it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. I will watch and tune in and see. Two more questions for you. What was it like working with John Singleton? Man, that was a big bro, man. It was what it was like working with John was uh, feeling like you were a part of his candy land, his his little wonderland that he was bringing uh, to life. So many things that were important to him and his community that he wanted to tell certain type of stories. Snowfall is a story that John had been wanting to tell for a very long time, including a lot of the other show creators. But John specifically, he, he wanted to tell stories about his neighborhood and bring bring humanity, uh, be able to really show the contrast to the larger uh, Western society, white society, white culture, however you want to label it. John knew that there was an authenticity coming from his neighborhood and that those people should be should have a wide lens and a ultra you know short lens a uh, close-up on these stories on this type of humanity on the people the people that lived around him that their stories should not go without being told um and and to me he did it unapologetically he did it you know, on the biggest stage with, you know, feature film. And he and then he did it, you know, with cable, with one of the premier cable, um, you know, uh, stations or networks, rather. And it, it was just amazing working with him. He was always filled with enthusiasm, always, you know, always laughing. He was always inquisitive and always learning. He just felt like a, a true renaissance. Man, and and when you're around him, you're, you're talking films. We're, we're me and him are debating about films while we're about to do a take, or we're you know talking about the next scene that we're gonna do, and and him talking about the dailies that he's watched and how we're bringing authenticity to to these characters and to these roles and how important it is. And you know, he was always abreast of the latest news story. You know, just a very well 
balanced human being and a good spirit, good person to be around. And that stuff means sometimes more with the with the uh, when you're working with someone than that someone is just you know they're a genius and that they're creatively so special. Sometimes it's just the humanity. You see that humanity and that rubs off on you. Like wow, you know if you're gonna do something, do it on this level. Have this type of authenticity with them. That's what John embodies. I love that. I love that so much. He's sorely missed. Sorely missed. Um, my last question for you is, what is your favorite scene from Snowfall? Hmm. From stuff that we've seen already. All right. Um, my favorite, you know what? My favorite scene is the scene in 310, actually. In 310, um, coming out of a nightmarish dream type of sequence where uh, Franklin's character could have seen how things could have gone in his life had he taken a different route. He realized that, you know, no matter where you go, there you are. And somehow fate would have it that he would still run into the same characters and they would still play somewhat different but similar functions in his life. And he comes out of that dream sequence into a Nina Simone Strange Fruit rendition of, uh, and Jerome's character is going to the bottoms. Franklin is healing from the bullet wounds inflicted by his girlfriend and his family is by his side. And we see Jerome's character going to the bottoms with Scully and Manboy having a shootout, which will eventually become the gang violence that is so legendary when it comes to these type of stories that we haven't seen. You know, it's three seasons so far and we haven't really seen the gang violence that um, that comes after these first, you know, these first few years are set up. And walking through that yard of the jungles and, and seeing the, how it was decimated, bodies all over and, and just realizing that, you know, with this drug comes comes death, comes fatherless it, it, it comes fatherless children, motherless children, it, 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 you know, broken families and and a lot of funerals. And uh, that scene was without any dialogue, but to me it was so poignant to the ramifications of all of this. So, Whatever is glorified in the making of money, to me, is that's the wake up, that's the smelling salts right there of, of the stark reality that this is war and, you know, there's a price to pay for, for the action. And all of that is written all over your face. Like you said, there's no words in that scene, but just your face in that scene looking around at all the carnage conveys everything you just said. Yeah, that's yeah, that's definitely my favorite. Um, yeah, that's that's it. It encapsulates to me what the series is about, and I was glad to be a part of that particular scene. You know, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. That's all of my questions for you. No, no. Is there anything I had a else? Good time. No, is there anything else that you want us to know um, about the upcoming season? Um, I know we tune in on FX. For anyone that likes snowball, you know. It's okay for someone to start in season four, the first two episodes. We got a two, you know, a two episode season premiere. 
Um, and if they like it, go back and, and retrace where we came from. These characters have grown, the actors have grown, everyone is putting their uh, best foot forward with this series in, in humility. And, and there's, a, there's a great ancestor looking over us, John Singleton. So realize also that this is one of the last installments of his great historic legendary life. Um, so if everyone could treat that accordingly, it'd be dope. Thank you. Thank you so much, Amin. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Have an awesome day. Right, bye. Bye. He's magnificent. I love it when people are good and then you like quote and unquote meet them and they turn out to be even better. Happy feelings. I'm so excited. So remember to tune into Snowfall this Wednesday on FX. And remember to tune in to Don't Waste Your Pretty. And, and remember to tune in to Don't Waste Your Pretty on Sunday, 8, 7 Central on TV1. That still sounds so crazy to say. I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> okay. Merch is coming. For the site, I am dropping new merch this week. Follow me on social media for the announcement. I will announce it in the morning and the shirts will go on sale later that day. Many of y'all want to wear your Don't Waste Your Pretty hoodie while you watch Don't Waste Your Pretty, which I think is adorable. Y'all gonna have me up in this warehouse working during press week to try to get these hoodies shipped on time. But we'll figure it out. We'll get it done. I'll get them out. I can't promise you what USPS does. I'll do my part on my end to get them to you on or before Saturday. That is the podcast for this week. If you want some ratchet and respectable merch, you can pick that up on DemetriaLLucas.com. I feel like there's something else I'm supposed to be telling you, but I can't remember what it is. Oh, well, when it comes to me, we'll talk about it for Friday. Stay warm, stay dry. Okay, bye. Bye.